For May 23rd, 2019, it's the Lullabot Podcast. It's the Lullabot Podcast, episode 237. I'm Matt Cleave, a senior developer at Lullabot. With me, as always, co-host the show, senior front-end developer, Mike Herschel. Hey, Mike. Hey, good afternoon, Matt. Good afternoon, Mike. And, you know, we're reporting, we're recording a podcast, and we're not sitting next to each other. How did we ever do this before? Through the magic of tubes. The, the, the series of tubes known as the, the internet? series of tubes, yes. Yeah, so on the Lullabot Podcast, we talk all things Lullabot generally in the Drupal space, right? We're a web development, strategy design development company that works primarily in Drupal, and we're going to learn some more about some of the latest, greatest stuff coming out of Drupal 8. Yeah, we have, uh, we're revisiting a topic that we talked about, what, like a little bit over a year ago with uh, with layout, layouts, and uh, for those of us that have tried out the uh, newest version of Drupal, Drupal 8.7, one of the biggest within that release is that the um, layout builder module is now stable, and that's a, that's huge. Yeah, we, we've we've talked a little bit about this in the past. Um, we had our guest on before. Yep. Um, when we talked about the the Lullabot website, um, we heard all about how layout builder was super, and you know how it really helped us leverage making cool things happen on our website. Yep, and uh, with us today to talk about that is uh, Tim Plunkett, who is a principal software engineer at Acquia. He's working on the uh, layouts initiative, uh, at least until this week. Right, Tim? <laughs> How's it going? I'm doing pretty good, and you're from uh, Philadelphia, and you're typically in uh, a red Philadelphia uh, Phillies hat. Is that right? Are you wearing yeah, it right um, now? I am wearing a maroon 1980s throwback Philadelphia Phillies hat right now. Okay, we'll allow that. That's good. Maroon's red. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. Yeah, I think we we're definitely we're, we're we're kind of with you now in spirit, even if we are separated by tubes. So I don't know. First of all, congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it was a lot of work. Am I? I'm I'm assuming it was a lot of work to get this into core. Correct. It really was, uh, and thankfully we had a big team working on it, um, yeah. and over a long long period of time now, uh, the plans for it. With the layout initiative about three years ago, the ideas uh, for Layout Builder came up about two years ago at, at DrupalCon, and we've been working on it since then. Wow, yeah, it's a, it's a, it, and it shows the amount of work. So uh, let, let's uh, maybe start by talking about the process about getting it into core. Um, let's talk about maybe the genesis of the idea um, and, and, and how you proposed it and, or who proposed it and surprises and... And, and things like that, I'm getting it in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the layout initiative itself kind of predated Layout Builder for a bit. Uh, the The idea was that there are all these modules in Contrib, like Panels and Panelizer and Display Suite, that needed sort of a singular mechanism for defining layouts. And that was added uh, to core as the Layout API back in Drupal 8.3. Um, and so from then it was like, okay, now we have this, this generic API that we can do these things with, what should we do next? Uh, and the first attempt was just trying to improve the field UI as it was mm -hmm. in place. Uh, and it was an experimental core module called field layout. And it, you know, it, was a, it was a nice attempt. It was a good experiment, uh, but didn't really go anywhere. And it really wasn't worth the sort of pain it caused uh, for existing sites, the upgrade and sort of the way it changed your, or broke your templates. Uh, it really wasn't worth it for the for the functionality you got, but it was a really good experiment to see what it would be like to to put something like that in core. Uh, so coming out of that failure at DrupalCon Baltimore, uh, Emily Nouveau, who also is a an engineer at Acquia, proposed uh, a new kind of approach to things, uh, and that grew into be now being called Layout Builder. That is awesome. So, um, how did you, uh, or how did she propose on getting this into core? And um, what was the process on? Did you just say decide I'm going to do this? Did you have to pitch it to someone? Yeah. Um, so there's a uh, there's a there's a process for this within Drupal. Um, there is a separate issue queue outside of the core issue queue, and it's called the ideas queue, and there's a defined process of how you do ideation and how you step through the um, proposing a, a, a product 
introduction to core. Uh, anything that is an end user facing facing thing would be would go through this process. Um, so we were actually at a sprint. We were working on getting panels and panelizer stable for Drupal eight, and uh, or the and having an update path from Drupal or migration path from Drupal seven. And at the end of that sprint, we had a, we had an extra afternoon. Um, so a bunch of us sat around and and discussed it. Um, and particularly Emily and uh, myself and Angie Byron Webchick, who is a product manager of Drupal Core, and sort of went through uh, some of the feedback that she gathers from the community about what what people need, uh, and ran the proposal by the UX team at the time, the usability team, which is a group of volunteers that work with in Drupal Core to to kind of validate and give advice and 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 propose UX related functionality. Um, so from there, after you know pitching the idea to them and getting some initial positive feedback, uh, we sat down and, and came up with some user stories and then went from there to designs. And then be, then at, at a Acquia hackathon, we began to actually code the, code the module, uh, which is very different from how Drupal modules end up starting, which is usually someone writes a proof of concept and then it just you just go with that and try to incrementally improve it from there. <laughs> Scratching yes. the itch, right? Yeah. Yeah. Starting with, with user stories and design is, is, is very backwards for how core usually works, but it's how software should work, in my opinion. And it really, it really set the, the foundation for the success of the initiative. Yeah. So um, it came into core in what, 8.5 as yes. an experimental? Is that right? Yeah. So a year ago, uh, it was added to core Drupal 8.5. And then from there, it had, you know, the, the general rules, experimental modules supposed to have about a year to, to finish up whatever they had not finished. An experimental module has to have, you know, a, a stable data model, a stable API, um, and no glaring, obvious, you know, uh, usability bugs or the performance regressions or any, any insecure code or anything like that. Um, so from that point a year ago, we had... Uh, we had that time to, to finish all of the outstanding work. Um, and it was, it was a lot. Um, it took, we had a team at Anacquia of about five or six, depending on the time of year, different engineers uh, working on it. And at the end, about six engineers working full-time just on Layup Builder. Wow. That's a lot of support. It really yeah. is. I mean, you know, I'm like, I'm really fortunate to have the, the institutional backing that I have and, and the whole team um, has the same sort of support. But even on top of that, there were maybe two dozen, or let's say a dozen really key volunteers uh, that were working on Layout Builder, and then several dozen, like maybe 50 plus people working uh, to help out incrementally. Um, so it wasn't just an Acquia uh, product or anything. You know, it's, it's, it's very much the community's project, but it was just that instead of working nights and weekends, we were fortunate to be compensated and, and, and allowed to work on it as our day job. When we developed Lullabot.com, we developed it within Layout Builder 8.6. What are the big changes between that experimental version of Layout Builder in 8.6 uh, going forward to the uh, stable version in 8.7? Honestly, from 8.5 to 8.6, uh, there wasn't too much extra. Uh, there were some you know, low-hanging fruit bug fixes that we got in in the intervening six months. But coming off the big push to get it into core, uh, there was kind of a... a a breather period. Um, mm-hmm. And honestly, you know, a bunch of us were kind of burnt out. Yeah. That's understandable. Yeah. So there was a little, there wasn't actually that big of a difference from eight, five to eight, six. Um, and so from eight, six to eight, seven is basically the entire rest of the work. Yeah. Uh, so there is actually a huge difference from eight, six to eight, seven, okay. uh, both, both on the, the, the API side, as well as the UI side. And in, in addition, a lot, maybe 90% of all the, explicit work we did around accessibility landed in 8.7, mm-hmm. uh, even though we've been working on it throughout. Yeah, accessibility is a big topic that I want to talk about. I feel like I'm jumping ahead just a little bit, though. Maybe we should kind of um, explain, like to give like the 10,000 foot overview of what exactly Layout Builder is from like a user interface point of view for maybe uh, a Drupal developer that has, you know, experience in the field UI and uh, and, you know, maybe display suite and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. As a, for, for a site builder from their perspective, uh, it's completely replaces the field UI for any place that you turn it on. So it can be turned on for any specific bundle of content type, you know, per, for, for nodes, for users, for comments. Um, and for each one of those 
you can then configure the display of, of your, your fields similar to how, uh, you know, you might have done things with display suite, except for with the ability to rearrange them into different layouts, sort of like panelizer. Um, but without making all comparisons to existing modules, it, in Drupal core with outlay uploader, you get to control the order that your the fields display. And it's just, this is the order they are in printed in uh, flat. With Layout Builder, you can group them into different sections, and within a section has different regions. Um, previously, when you had to write a very complex layout, let's say you wanted a big banner at the top, and then you know two columns where you have a big picture, and then a small uh, you know call to action, and then the the, the body of the text, and at the bottom like three more things where they're you know recent articles or something. In order to do that, you would have to write a custom layout that said, okay, one column, two columns, one column, three columns. The the key difference for layout builder is that you can click together that using smaller building block, mm -hmm. simpler layouts. So you literally say, Hey, I want one column layout done. Then you put in a two, then a one, then a three. And instead of having to hard uh, to code any of that and write any CSS or any templates or anything, you can just pick from those predefined ones and stack the, the layouts themselves and then rearrange all your content within them. And I think that's the real key differentiator. I, I solutions. I 100% agree with you. I, th I think there's an additional key differentiator, though, uh, the fact that it's kind of done on the front end of the site, so you can actually see the content there. So for those that haven't used Layout Builder, um, you will go to, for for example, like a node. Um, you can turn it on per node or per content type, and if you enable it per node, you can go to the layout tab of the node, and you're still loading the front end theme. So you see, like you know you know, your custom styles and everything like that. But it puts some padding in there, some little dotted lines onto where you can drag the stuff around. And then you can hit, there's a little button in there that says add block or add section. And once you hit one of those buttons, the uh, settings tray pops out from the right-hand side of your screen. And at that point, you'll have your various options. You might have a list of predefined um, uh, layout layout uh, sections that you can insert that might be like say like one column two column three column or four column uh, you might have um, if you're adding a block you'll have a list of blocks and um, when you the coolest thing for I think from an editor's point of view is when they're adding a block or when they're adding a piece of content in there they see that content immediately how it would look and that's really cool because for example, if they if if you're inserting content and you're selecting the view mode and they don't know what the view modes are, which I can see being a pretty common thing, they can at least go ahead and add it and maybe make an educated guess and see what it looks like. And then if it looks great, you know it's going to look great as soon as they hit that save button. And I, I think that's that's so awesome. And that preview is, is pretty killer, Mike. Not everybody. Um reads floats and grids and sees it all in front of them. Like seeing is believing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, the tool has been built from the ground up with content editors, content authors, marketers, those, those end users of that sort of that part of the site as the, the, the focus. And it also is a killer site builder tool, yeah. uh, but, but it's, it was aimed towards uh, content authors in a way that the other tools are not. Um, and the previews are a huge part of that. Yeah, um, as 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 we implemented on Lillabot.com, and and I'm I'm also working on a uh, on a on a on a new project, a new client project, and we're doing a very similar thing. We have a, a content type called landing page, and it's basically, you know, a layout builder enabled page where um, marketing people or, or people that might not be as you know technical savvy as say like a web developer, but they can go in, they have their predefined blocks that they can add. They can add their predefined content. They can stick it into their predefined layouts and they can move those layouts around. And, you know, the let the styling is written so it automatically inherits the correct amount of spacing, paddings, gutters, and all that type of stuff. And it makes it very, very difficult for them to make something terribly ugly. Which is which? I, I I think everybody's loving that. <laughs> Mike, Mike, as a as a front ender, how is the uh, the CSS? I, I really like it because it kind of does it look all right. You're you're proud of it. If if layout builder is is what's on the page, and you're the front end developer, you're like, yeah, this this will work. 
Yeah, so I, I mean, we've been uh, we've been defining our own layouts. Ah, um, and, fancy. Uh, yeah, so we've been defining our own layouts, and and at that point, uh, we've been doing that like on the kind of the module side of things because uh, the way that uh, Karen Stevenson had had imp- has implement has the layouts implemented on Lullabot.com, and we're doing the same thing on on this new client site. Um, we have a dropdown for uh, that reaches out to a taxonomy vocabulary where you can select. Um, CSS classes that you have that you have added in there, and so you can add, so I can I can add a, a section or you know a layout section in there, and then I can attach CSS classes to that. And the CSS classes might say something like center the text, or it might say like you know constrained by one grid, or it might say like apply a negative bottom uh, a negative margin bottom, or a uh, you know a, a margin bottom of four you know units, and and that makes it pretty easy for people for for the people who are composing the pages to to work with it. And there's also the ability to add a title into those. And uh, when you're adding the title, you can select which element you want. It defaults to like an H2 and there's CSS classes for that. And then uh, from the styling point of view, uh, I typically override the uh, the libraries just on the theme layer, just so I can kind of manage everything within the SAS code base and just have like a, you know, a SAS, uh, like a layout directory within my SAS directory uh, structure that uh, does all the layout stuff and it keeps it very componentized, which like when you're dealing with CSS, you want to kind of componentize everything because CSS is global and you know, you can really shoot yourself in the foot if you don't, if you don't do it properly. And I'm, I'm sure like everybody has done that, you know, and um, Z index 1000. <laughs> yeah. Right. Z index 1000 and important <laughs> everything. And well, you know, Mike, uh, what, what it sounds like is that it's, it's good to go out of the box, but it can be as complex and as complicated and as, as, as exciting as you need it to be. It's very Drupal <laughs> in a good way though. In a good yeah. That way. didn't sound like a good way though. Yeah. 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 No one's ever said very Drupal <laughs> in a minute that way. Well, we, we should. The first time right here on the Lullabot yeah. Podcast. 2019, <laughs> episode 237, yeah. All right, we kind of went into the front end a little bit. Maybe maybe now, now is a good way to, to trans... Um, well, we were kind of going into the, the latest version, the, okay. the .8, and you, you had mentioned accessibility. Um, that sounds yeah, like that yeah. might be challenging for such an interface. Um, can we talk a little bit about that, Tim? When it comes to accessibility, uh, kind of conveying the information of a spatial layout uh, is extremely challenging. Uh, and there isn't any software that does that right now. And there's no real mechanism for it either. Uh, although there are new proposals at the CSS level to kind of have a way to convey spatial layouts, it's in the early draft state. So we were really kind of having to you know, blaze our own trail here. Uh, and I mean, the main thing is that Accessibility, there's no, there's no one answer. There's no way to know, oh, yeah, you're done now. You did the one thing. Like Check, check off the checklist. Accessibility is finished. It's a process. It's a way of thinking, and it has to be baked in at the lowest level. Um, we, the, I mean, the easiest thing to point to is say, oh, is, is this, this, this UI, is it keyboard navigable um, in a way that even makes sense. Not only can you actually get to tab around and do the things, but does will the user understand what they are doing and what the effects of what they're doing has on the rest of the page? Um, and we we spend a lot of time on that uh, via either these announce calls in JavaScript to sort of convey to the user via speech uh, what, mm-hmm. what's happening, uh, or just using ARIA roles correctly to to give them sort of these landmarks of this is where you are and this is what this means. Um, and additionally, there's there's also in the case of for keyboard nav- navigability, we rely on Drupal's table drag UI, um, which is you know very prevalent throughout core. Yeah, uh, whether it be menus or or taxonomy terms, if you're going to use Drupal a Drupal site as a site builder, you're going to have to figure out table drag, um, whether you're using a pointer device or a keyboard. So we did rely on that sort of uh, assumption of knowledge to allow us to provide that functionality for keyboard uh, navigation. Um, which really did obviously help, um, but there's also there's still a lot more, and the the guidelines are very uh, they're very specific in what they the intent is of each each point, 
but they're not specific in terms of how to implement that for all the different possible input devices and output devices. Um, and so there's always more work to be done. Um, and what we did when scoping anything within core, we use uh, a system like a must have, should have, could have, and would like to have system um, in terms of just dividing up priorities. And in order to get anything into core, there's a series of, of different topic gates that need to be satisfied. Usability, security, performance, accessibility, and uh, I think one just about data model and API. And you have to satisfy all the must-haves for that category in order for it to be included into core. Um, so we did 100% of all the must-haves that, that between the layout builder team and the accessibility team uh, you know, came up with. But we also tackled a good chunk of the should-haves um, and are into sort of the, the, the nice-to-haves and could-haves. And so that's what remains going forward. There's always more we can do. Um, but at least at the bare minimum, you know, we've covered what the, we have decided as a community are you know, the, the, the absolute blockers. Did you end up doing any type of uh, usability testing after or, or before? Uh, was there any type of accessibility user testing or anything like that? Or um, We haven't I, had anything holistic. Um, yeah. We're we're looking into that, uh, but as far as we we had multiple things, we did some usability tests. Uh, you know, actual sit down usability tests for specific uh, design choices. Mm -hmm. Throughout, like for example, there was a uh, due to technical limitations, we had cobbled together a quick and easy way to print out the where the save buttons are uh, and the you know discard the changes, revert those sort of actions, and we had just kind of shoved them in at the top as a like hackathon level. Let's get this in. Mm -hmm. And we knew it wasn't good, uh, but we didn't necessarily know what to do from there. Uh, so Emily, who's you know one of the co-initiative leads with me, uh, came up with a couple different proposals and then sat down and did some formal usability studies on those different options, um, and and was was able to to determine what we what we ended up coming up with. Um, but we haven't had anything at at, the, at a holistic level yet, and it is something I'd, I'd be interested in doing. But um, you know that's that's next. Uh, and of course, if if somebody says there are issues, oh, for sure. I mean, there are file, lots of issues. File an issue, right? Yeah. yeah, please. And I mean, we have a. There's a since since it was announced and featured at DrupalCon Seattle in the Dries keynote. Um, there's been a lot of activity in the layouts Slack channel and the Drupal Slack. Um, and there's you know dozens of people in there asking questions, and there's even more people answering questions. And you can pretty much either get acknowledge that what you're asking is is a problem and we don't know the answer yet but here's where to follow along for it or someone could point you to there's already a solution in progress like sorry that it's not fixed already but here's where here's where it's happening um, so there's a lot of momentum and enthusiasm and really interesting questions some, some of which are resulting in new feature requests some are resulting in spun off new contrib modules to build out the layout builder ecosystem yeah well, in, the, awesome. in the vein of what have you done for me lately um what are people champing at the bit for? What do they want? I mean, there's a good couple of things. Um, there are some specific things that themers want with regards to uh, more flexible template suggestions so that they can really drill down and customize the markup for a specific component to sort of go with like what Mike was saying earlier with the like component-based approaches um, where you can either right now, you can custom do it yourself, uh, but some a little bit more flexibility out of the box has, has been one big request. Um, we just had there, you know, there was a, a recent performance fix that we found um, that should be getting committed this week, uh, and would be back portable to eight seven. So, like, you know, the next version eight point seven point two or something, it would be in in that release. Um, there, the biggest I think feature request. Uh, well, there's two different halves. One's just pure feature request. People want visibility controls, like they have in the block system, where you can say this specific field or this specific block is only visible to people uh, that have this role or are viewing the page in this language. Almost context-like. Exactly. Yeah. That is forthcoming. I mean, there's people working on that issue. Um, I would say the other one is that we shipped without support for multilingual sites, um, which is not to say that we it's you can only do it in English or anything because Drupal, Drupal 8 can be installed in any language. So it's language agnostic, but it's right now it only works... Uh, you can't customize or translate the parts, custom content entered through the layout builder UI uh, in, into other languages. Okay, and that's so, something we're so the on UI now. itself is multilingual, but in, right. and it, 
if you create content, content content in okay no no so if you create regular node content and uh have you know all your different fields displayed and you translate them in the normal fashion with content translation everything's going to be fine but there are specific parts of the layout builder ui that allow you to enter text um specifically labels for your blocks and if you choose to do that those labels are not currently translatable um and so that is a known bug and we're working on uh, on fixing it uh and there's po- four possible ways to fix it and we're, we're we're picking two you know we're doing two of them and not the other two and the other two are going to be in contrib and um i could include some links to those for those curious about it uh, but you could do three more episodes just on the translation consequences <laughs> of layout builder uh, but it is something that's on the roadmap. I'm wanting to ask questions about it, but I think I'll just set it aside. It sounds like it's a big, a, a bigger, bigger than I, yeah. than I'm assuming. There was a, there was a good like two hour discussion about it at Seattle. Um, it was really, really in, informative and interesting. And the notes from that are public as far as I know. So I can, I can make sure they're linked for those curious. Um, yeah. But between core and contrib within the next six months, we're planning on supporting pretty much all the use cases. Um, it's just depending on which one you want in core or not. We're talking Layout Builder with Drupal 8, the latest, greatest in 8.7 with Tim Plunkett from Acquia. Yep. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what's next and uh, any type of gotchas within Layout Builder. On the Lullabot Podcast, coming up right after this. Hey, it's Carl, one of the co-organizers of the first ever Flyover Camp. Tell us about the camp, Carl. Well, it is on May 31st through June 2nd at the University of Missouri, Kansas City campus. The first two days are going to be normal sessions with keynotes, and the last day is going to be a contribution sprint. The cost is $38, and you can register at flyovercamp.org. Excellent. We'll see you there. Welcome back. We're talking with Tim Plunkett about Layout Builder and the awesomeness that is uh, Drupal 8.7. Yeah. Hey, Tim, so we talked about the early days of Layout Builder um, off the top. And I, I'm, I was kind of wondering, my mind was wandering during that commercial break. Um, <laughs> does Layout Builder as we know it today kind of have its seed in the old Scotch initiative? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say no. Um, I mean, it, it obviously, you know, so the, for, for context, the Scotch initiative um, was intended as sort of the modern uh, modern replacement for the block module. Yeah, it was it was a, it was kind of an awkward backronym because there was another initiative called whiskey. So, yeah. yes, and, and no one, <laughs> if anyone could tell you they know what Scotch stood for, they're wrong because they don't remember. Whiskey uh, was web services and something and plugins and yada yada yada. But Scotch was kind of the it was kind of the the promise of the new generation, right? The let's let's do panels and core almost. Yeah, and there was a, there was a layout module actually committed to core at one point. Um, and ended up being removed because it didn't do anything. Uh, it laid a lot of the foundation, um, but in the end, like the actual part where it would output code, it just said at to do, figure this part out. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so it that did, sounds like my code. <laughs> some of that is timing I'm, or timeline, I'm sure, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it has to do with, you know, the, the Drupal 8.0 dev cycle uh, was very unique in in, in many ways uh, and stretched on for a long period of time. So there was no real known endpoint. So there was no deadline to kind of uh, give some, some scope to the whole initiative and ended up being not succeeding in that sense. Uh, but some of the improvements they made uh, the plugin system and some of the, the context system within core and some of the improvements to block module ended up being sort of foundational to the layout builder. Um, although I would say about at least a third of my time, or more that I've spent coding on Layout Builder was fixing bugs within the context system and the block system and the plugin system, uh, because we, you know, they were improved in such a way in Drupal 8.0 uh, with this promise of more functionality, but no one actually took advantage of it or exercised it in, in meaningful ways. And so when I actually tried to put it to, to use, it kind of fell over. Sure, building uh, Layout Builder is an exercise for the system itself. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. The, like the we your own dog food. Exactly. Um, and so the, the, the scotch in it, like the scotch initiative itself had some really, uh, kind of next generation of thoughts and pro- approaches to how, uh, you know, different customizations would relate to their parents. And there was this whole inheritance system. Um, and we basically, I mean, it was all scrapped when it was removed from core. And I, I definitely looked at it every once in a while to make sure I wasn't repeating any old ground, but we didn't really use it. 
uh, any of the new ideas from it at all. Uh, and really, the, the, as I said, like they started with all these really, uh, you know, next generation approaches and, pro- and proposals and sort of foundational code, but nothing actually functional. Whereas we started with every, at every step of the way, Layout Builder did something. Um, and it was sort of a true iterative approach. Uh, where you know there's the the image where you have like you start with a scooter and then you go to a bicycle then you go to a motorcycle and then you get a car as opposed to just having some axles and then axles and a steering wheel and then you know from there you, you build a car and you know at no point until it's completely done is it functional so we wanted to iterate due to the nature of core development um, we always had to have in order to land anything we had to have something functional uh, so that we and honestly we did borrow a lot from um, panelizer in terms of inspiration, but with an eye at Display Suite. Uh, Display Suite is a really interesting module because it's really widely used, uh, but it does a lot of things. And I would would venture to guess that most people that use it don't use it for the same reasons as the other people that use it, and don't use 100% of its functionality. Yeah, I was trying to remember what it actually did. Um, I, I've been on projects using Display Suite, but we used a small portion of its functionality. Like it, uh, we used yep. different display modes per content type or something. Display Suite had sweating. So, right. so that was that yeah. was in Drupal seven. Uh, display Suite was the first one that sort of added this concept of different view modes. And then you know in Drupal eight, I helped move that into core. So we had, that was that was the beginning of kind of chipping away at Display Suite's feature set and moving parts of it into core. Um, but honestly, the biggest thing I've heard anecdotally is the people. The reason that people installed Display Suite was because the title field was not manipulatable in Field UI, <laughs> uh, uh. and neither was any other base field. It was only the configurable fields that you add through the Field UI were the ones available on Managed Display. So people would install this entire module that does dozens of things really well, just for one small set of functionality. Um, and so it's sort of in discussion uh, going back three years to to DrupalCon New Orleans discussing with the display suite maintainers about what they saw as sort of the 80% use case of their module um, and, and how to just kind of deprecate the whole module and make it obsolete, um, which has kind of basically happened now. And even just this morning, there was a blog post published by previous Next explaining why they pivoted completely from using display suite on all their current site builds to where now everything new they build is going to be using Layout Builder. That's awesome. We'll link to that in our show notes. Yeah. And honestly, along those lines, I know we mentioned briefly earlier when I was giving the kind of the history of the initiative, there's the field layout module. Mm-hmm. The field layout module was very much trying to be display suite in core. Uh, and that was the experiment. But it ended up, as I said, not being ambitious enough. Um, it did too little for too much pain. Um, and so we, you know, I declared it a kind of failed experiment. And it's still hanging around in core. Uh, and, and we have to figure out the best way to kind of get rid of it in a sustainable way to not you know ruin the lives of the people who tried to adopt it. Um, but, but switching to something more that supplanted panelizer, but in core, it turned out to be the more, the more ambitious and successful approach. I do yeah. remember when you were last on Tim and you were describing the, uh, the field layout module, I was like, Oh, well, is it going to do this, this, that, and the other thing essentially explaining layout builder was my assumption based on its cool name field layout, right? It's going to do yeah. that. And you were like, yeah, sadly, no, it doesn't do that. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So, I mean, any ideas what's going to happen in the future? Yeah. So the interesting thing about field layout is that, while Layout Builder is all about controlling the output of your content, Field Layout both attempted to improve that workflow, but also allowed you to alter the, the display of the form itself where you enter the content, uh, which was really powerful and really kind of nice, especially for yeah. you know, as, a, as an agency like yourself, you're going to build out, try to build out the best workflow for your, your client. As possible. Well, it's already uh, editable, like drag them. and drop wise, right? Now that now you can the the form and the display you can rearrange are the order rearrange. that the fields are just widgets are displayed, but the same the same way that you could do that with field UI for your output, but you couldn't kind of rearrange or split it into two columns or uh. split it into to have a, a wider footer or any of those things. Um, and so that sort of functionality is really going to be the casualty. Like that's what the part we have to focus on because there's a clean update path from a migration path from field layout to layout builder for those using the front end, the output capabilities. But for those uh, that had been using it to control the output of their forms, uh, we don't have anything to do with that right now. Uh, so I think the current plan 
is to try to just it's it feels like it's basically just an alter of the field UI code is to just kind of roll that form part directly into field UI itself and just make it instead of an enhancement of field UI, just make field UI do that thing. Um, and sort of then just pretend like the field layout module never existed, <laughs> uh, which is good because, you know, I mean, I'm happy. I really have uh, a really interesting, I have a lot of thoughts about the experimental module process. Um, yeah. But I think that one of the biggest things is that we're allowed to fail and failing in public is really hard and kind of uncomfortable. Uh, but I think it's really great, and it's it's a good example of how how to do that responsibly. Yeah, and I don't I don't think there's any shame in failing. No, absolutely not. I mean, the only shame is if you try to you know cover it up or yep. pretend it never happened, or you learn nothing from it and you repeat your mistakes. But failing in public can be you know, especially in an open source community, it shows people that look, you can take a chance and and go for something, and it might be the next big thing, or it might not, and then there's no you know no harm no foul. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's maybe move on to some uh, layout builder gotchas and, and maybe like non-use cases. Um, when if you're creating a site in layout builder, what what are some maybe things to avoid or maybe use cases where not to use layout builder? Um, if you if you don't have any thoughts on this, no, we can absolutely. cut it out. Yeah, no, I can. Um, the I would say there are th- there are limitations to its functionality that may not may or may not be clear at, at first. Um, some of them are enhanced by contrib. Some of them are on uh, the roadmap to become something in contrib. Uh, but for example, you know the the layout builder itself is focused around the output of the entity and the fields itself. And as such, if you if you're a Drupal site builder, you know what the the main content region of your page is. Everything layout builder does it lives within that main content region. All of the other things like your headers and your footers, and if you have them, your sidebars are still controlled by the block UI uh, and your page templates. And that can be sort of frustrating. And you come in, you have this really great tool. It's really great for your content and you want to use it for other parts of your page and you can't, you're stuck with the old block UI. And that is something that is looking to be addressed by Contrib in a couple different forms. Some people want to completely have a brand new solution. There are other people working on improving the page manager module, um, which is from D7 and D8, to sort of make that uh, use the layout builder UI uh, itself to, to show you how to edit the, the parts around the main content, sort of like the site Chrome, if you will. Um, so the, it, without that module done, or without any either of those efforts completed, um, it can be kind of jarring. It's like, wait, why? Why is this powerful tool limited to this middle part, and why can't I use it in other places? R- yeah. Remind me which one Page Manager is. A page Manager is what people might think Panels is. Oh, okay, so Page Manager is the requirement for Panels, and it it panels is right. Is Panel, panels on top. Well, they panels requires the Page Manager, right? No, now they, that was in D seven. Oh yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So in D8, they switched it. So Panels is just this shared UI module uh. on top of Panel. It's used by Panelizer and Page Manager. And yes, all of those words are confusing and make no sense, especially <laughs> both D7 and D8. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah. Just like Drupal. <laughs> yeah. but, so Panelizer has been largely supplanted by Layout Builder. But the concept of doing... And so that the another note is that every time you, if you are doing a specific node, let's say you're on node slash five and it's one of your events and you want to customize the output of that event. So you customize it just the way you want. That is stored as content. That is a field. It is revisionable. It'll eventually be translatable. It is, it can go through workflows uh, like moderation workflows. Um, and the, and it's, it is pure content can be deployed. Page manager uh, is config. You go in and you say, I want an about slash about, to be a new route on my site. And when you go to that, you see this landing page and it has nothing to do with any particular content. It's just, it can use, you know, you can pull in content from somewhere else, but it is a configuration thing and that can be put into version control and deployed via, you know, your Git or whatever you have, whatever, what have you. Um, and it's not content, it's not revisionable. Uh, so that, that con- the config part is still in contrib um, and looks like it will be that way for, for the foreseeable future. And there's not enough, even though it's a very powerful tool, there's not enough demand that it'll land it in core itself anytime soon. 
So I have a, I have a question for you. Um, do you know anything uh, that would help me with the use case where I, if, if, for example, a field exists, then display in like another field um, or like say like add, I don't know, a CSS class or something to something. Um, the use case I'm thinking of is, is say like I'm, I'm defining my layouts and I'm hard coding them directly in my twig templates. A lot of times I'll, you know, have like a little twig statement that says if this exists, then, uh, you know, place this one right here. And if it doesn't exist, I'm going to place this other field down here. Is there anything... Uh, if there's a picture, have a caption or something like that? I'm trying to yeah, yeah well, make it more tangible for you, Mike. Well, so, like like the use case, the exact use case I'm thinking about is actually on, on the episode nodes that, that this will... This Lullabot.com slash podcast. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, like like that. This will so so we have. Um, there's a little rule within the Twig templates that says if we add links, uh, we we do one thing where we move a block around, and then then if we don't add the links, then we you know add a CSS class and move another block around, and we do that just so because we have like this big expanding collapsing transcript thing, and then we also have something like you know. We typically don't post the transcripts till like a day or so after after the uh, note is published. It's my so, fault. Yeah, it totally is. <laughs> so we um we uh like it doesn't show the link to the transcript until the transcript content exists. Is there anything uh, in Layout Builder, Contrib, or possibly going into Core that could handle a situation similar to that? Well, so it really depends. Honestly, the short answer is no. Not that I know of. Um, but the longer answer is it really depends on what you're talking about. Because if you're thinking of everything as separate components, in theory, those components shouldn't know anything about each other. Um, yeah. But if you're talking about things like sub, you know, components that sort of create a larger thing, um, there are some efforts around sort of like a multi-field module um, being worked on by, as far as I know, Lee Rollins of Previous Next and uh, Hawkeye Tenderwolf of Volobot. Mm-hmm. Uh, are working on sort of a multi-field module. And that would allow, through the use of um, more custom uh, field formatters and whatnot, they allow, allow you to, to sort of change and alter the granularity in the printing of one field based on the, the other. The caveat here is none of that has anything to do with Layout Builder. Um, layout Builder will print out blocks. Um, that may sound limiting to those that are used to blocks before Layout Builder. Um, all the blocks that live in core and most of the blocks you see that are added by your contrib site, contrib modules just are just there and they print the thing and that's it. Um, since 8.0, there has been the ability for a block to sort of receive information from outside um, or, or request that information and do things based on it. The, the example is field block. So, you know, a field block knows what field it is, but it needs an entity to print the field values out of. Um, so that sort of what we call contextually aware block lives in core now. Um, and you can have always been able to write context aware blocks. Um, but now there's actually a system that uses them and, and, and manipulates them correctly. So you can write a lot more complex stuff now. Um, but at the end of the day, you're just writing blocks or field formatters or what, what have you that aren't layout builder specific. Gotcha. That makes sense. Did we talk about what's next for Layout Builder? Like, what are you what are you concentrating on right now? And and like like what's what's yeah. immediately coming in? And that that is there anything that's planned for you know Drupal eight eight or anything like that? So there are you know I mean there's a couple hundred issues in the issue queue of things that can be worked on or are being worked on, uh, and there's you know dozens of bug fixes and feature requests and and just cleanup tasks in progress. And the, with the way that Drupal core works is there's no guarantee that any of it's going to land for 8.8, but there's also nothing stopping anything from landing in 8.8. 8.8 is going to go out the day it goes out and whatever is in goes with it. Um, that said, you know, within my team at Acquia, we have a list of things we were focused on. Yeah. Um, and as I mentioned before, one of the, the, the biggest one is translations, allowing sort of, uh, you know, you, you to translate the, customizations you've made within Layout Builder into whatever language you're displaying it in, that is very much targeted for 8.8 by our team. Um, 
but that's not a promise to anything. Like there's no guarantees that anything's going to happen. Uh, Layout Builder is stable now, so there's no more st- strings attached. You know, it's just everything else is just an improvement from here on out. Um, so yeah, but I mean, the translations is the main one, as I mentioned before. Also, the visibility controls, um, but everything else is just kind of whatever uh, anyone is empowered to work on. Um, and there are many multiple people just jumping in the issues, uh, saying, you know, I need this for my use case, and then there are people, myself included, who can help guide them to, you know, either making the changes themselves or describing their use case better so that other people can implement it for them or they test the changes after we work on them and make sure they work. Um, so in that sense, the, the, the roadmap is actually kind of very uh, open and democratic at this point where anyone can kind of influence what happens. That's the open source way, right? Absolutely. That's definitely how I think it should be done. Um, and within the last, honestly, how it kind of worked maybe let's say last summer after beta before we had this like kind of focused burn down to release where we just stopped working on all new fun things and only worked on the things we knew we had to do. Um, so getting back to that sort of what do people need and what is important to them and what, what, how can we make layout builder better in core um, is great. And also supporting the contrib modules that have started cropping up, um, which is something I did want to talk about. There's, I'm yeah. sure we'll put a link in the notes, but there's a good list already on the, documentation of existing contrib modules. Um, but there are a couple I wanted to call out specifically layout builder restrictions module. Um, one of the things I've, I was just at the, uh, Drupal Delphia, the local Philadelphia Drupal camp, uh, a week ago, or well, it'll be a couple weeks by now, but the, the one thing that people noted was it's that layout builder almost was too powerful, uh, and let people do too many things. And they were realizing that they're going to spend more time pairing back, and locking down and sort of restricting parts of Layout Builder to mm-hmm. suit their use case, then it would be for them to have to write new code to expand or extend the functionality. Um, and Layout Builder Restrictions is a great example of that, where it allows you to restrict which blocks and layouts are available um, within Layout Builder uh, and really can help you clean up the interface if you don't want people to be able to place all fields, for example. Um, and the, the difference, there's actually another module, which I think Lullabot wrote called Block Blacklist. Um, that one's a little bit more uh, absolute in the fact that it prevents anyone from doing it anywhere uh, and just completely removes that block from existence, um, which can help with performance, but doesn't let you ever place it and can actually break your site if you start removing things that you've actually placed in other places. Whereas Layout Builder Restrictions is mostly is only about restricting the list of, of, of options available to, to you. Yeah, a little about CTO Karen Stevenson talked about that on the podcast a few episodes ago. And that was more like a, a, a UX improvement, I think. I think there's some performance as well, but it was there's a bunch of stuff you can choose from, and we don't want to choose any of this stuff, so we're just going to hide that. Yeah, and, yeah. That's, and that's what Layout Builder Restrictions is also, from the UX side of things, is intended for. And they were written at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think now sort of the, the, the best practices are settling on layout builder restrictions for UX and black block blacklist for performance. Um, and you can use both, you know, but you should be very careful about which one you pick and why. Gotcha. Are there any other, uh, contrib modules that you want to highlight? There's an interesting one called layout builder library, uh, which if you used panelizer and you use the functionality referred to as multiple defaults, uh, you you will that's where that lives now, um, and it's basically the pre-configured sets of layouts with their fields placed within them. Um, so you could come up with let's say five different variations, and it's like some have the you know a big hero image, and some have uh, you know the, where it's just a big headline and no images at all. And you pick out you build up a couple of those, and then on the actual node edit form, it allows the author to pick from that list. And have that sort of let them be the, the limit of their customization. And that's just another example that's of, sort of nice. pairing back the functionality instead of letting them just go completely, you know, into the blue with moving thing anywhere they want, you can give them a preset list. So that's layout builder library. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to need to investigate both of those modules for the, for my project. Come on. That's exciting. And there's a good list, as I said, in the documentation that is kind of, kind of kept up to date with what are the best practices and what are, what are things that are available. Um, another one in that list, uh, this is sort of also a, kind of a segue, is there is a module on that page called Paragraph Blocks. 
You and beat me that there. is intended. Paragraph blocks is intended to let you place your individual paragraph items anywhere you want on the page, um, which kind of, to me, fulfills the promise of paragraphs module itself. Um, paragraphs as a sort of editorial tool allows you to to just pick any sort of from a, from a predetermined list, a bunch of different input types, and just have all this different content in a semi loosely unstructured way. Um, but in the past, you had to rely on either uh, abusing paragraphs itself to create nested paragraphs that determine the placement and layout, or just some really unwieldy, you know, hard coded templates. So with paragraphs and paragraph blocks and layout builder, you can keep the the flexibility of the editorial control of paragraphs um, without having to use or shoehorn the module into anything more than it is and allow layout builder to control the output and placement of it. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, I have a, I have a question here added to our show notes from, uh, from one of my coworkers, uh, Matt Oliveira. Um, and it, it talks a little bit about paragraphs. And so, so there's been, uh, the question is there's been some rumblings about paragraphs being the wrong approach for its overuses, uh, of entity references and he links to a couple of presentations from Jacob Perry and Hawkeye Tenderwolf. How can layout builder allay some of these concerns? In other words, what's the underlying storage mechanisms that layout builder uses and does layout builder store as entities? Right. So I have seen at least one or two of those presentations and mm-hmm. you know, the paragraphs, the, the data model issues that stem largely come into play when you are using revisions. Um, and depending on your configuration. And yeah, you can really quickly scale yourself into millions of rows. Um, I think that Layout Builder only really solves that, like maybe decreases it by an order of magnitude, um, but doesn't necessarily solve the problem outright because Layout Builder still allows you to have revisions. Um, and just by the fundamental definition of how revisions need to work in that there's always that stored canonical reference or version of that data that you can always get back to at any time that can create scaling issues. Um, that said, there are a lot less entity references, um, by the way it uses blocks. Um, unless you are creating content on the fly throughout the layout UI, uh, you're just going to be using, uh, placing other blocks. And that's a really small, like, you know, a couple lines of, of config when it's exported the YAML, um, that really doesn't have the sort of same sort of scaling problem. Um, that said, I'm really hesitant to make any sort of promises around that. Mm-hmm. The you know every every tool can be you know misused to the point of of horrible performance, um, and it doesn't necessarily. As I said, you could still use them together even, um, but it shouldn't be as sort of exaggerated as a problem. Um, honestly, there's still just a lot of work that needs to be done around entity references and revisions. And I know there's the entity reference revision module, um, but still there's not really sort of a community consensus on that and how, how to solve those uh, in a general way. Whereas now you just have to kind of evaluate and know what your, the scale of the site you're building is and see what, what restrictions you have to make based on that. Um, to, to address the, actual, the, the second half of that question, which is what is the underlying storage mechanism um, when you're controlling the layout of, let's say, all articles or all event types, you know, all, all event nodes, that is through like the managed display page right around where you usually find the fields UI. All that's stored in config. It's uh, a config entity can be exported to you know version control, um, and that's what it, that's all it is. The same exact data model is also reused when you're doing overrides, but that data is stored as a field on the entity itself. Um, so if you go in and you change your your node title around and you save it and you have revisions on, it's going to create a new revision and it's going to have that new node title. And then you go and change your layouts and you have revisions on, it's going to go and change the you know the ordering within that one layout field. And those are the same in the same revisions table, store the same way. Um, so if you want to revert one, you can revert the other, revert the other. Um, there's you know it's just using the field UI or the sorry the field API. Um, and the, getting all that translation and the support for translation and the moderation and workflows and revisions all for free from the field API. So if uh, a follow-up question to that. So if, if I'm using the layout builder to create content, you know, say if I'm like adding, you know, one-time use blocks directly in through the settings tray UI 
and I have revisions turned on, is is that a potential issue down the road? Yep, that that gets you if you're using inline blocks, so non-reusable, non-global blocks, and layout builder, uh, you're hitting the same exact problem with paragraphs has. Um, that said, there is one key difference in that um, we store, we have a, a separate usage table that tracks every time those are, uh, each of those inline blocks or any of the blocks are used. And if the usage is dropped to zero, they're eventually deleted. Now that doesn't actually work when you have revisions because they're still in there forever. Um, so that it doesn't really help in the revisions case. So, but that, you know, that's sort of not, um, it's not paragraphs fault really. Um, yeah. It's sort of just, if you want to build your site that way and use revisions, you're going to have that problem and it's up to you to figure out how to mitigate that scaling issues. Yeah. That, that makes sense. That makes sense. How did, how did you find yourself at the helm of this initiative? That's a really good question. Um, well, is this something you were excited about before? Is this something that, you know, you, you saw a place to, to, to jump in and really make a splash for Drupal or. So, you know, I mean, I, I found myself uh, working in Drupal core largely through the original put views in core initiative back in 2012 um, during the early Drupal 8 cycle. And that was sort of my, my intro and, and dry run and, and th being thrown headfirst into the pool of how core works. Uh, and from there, I ended up during the Drupal 8 dev cycle, worked on a bunch of things like the form API and the routing system, uh, the Ajax system, the block system, um, and then continuing working on views and whatnot. And then when it came time that Drupal 8 was actually released, you know, I, like many other core devs, were really super burned out. Um, and I kind of did take a, a breather uh, and worked with uh, the module acceleration program, which was a thing that Acquia had set up uh, yeah. to try to accel you know, accelerate the uh, porting of Drupal modules to Drupal 8 to sort of make site building feasible again. So I worked a bunch on, on porting different modules and it's sort of like forayed into the page manager panel sphere on that behalf. Um, but it was, there was one specific conversation I had, which was with a friend of mine who doesn't do Drupal professionally, um, but he actually sort of side along got me into Drupal. Um, but he, he has a Drupal site that he uses for, to run for his nonprofit. And he was doing a new site build in Drupal 8. And he was like, you know, I got, got all my, my data model all set up and I even started writing a custom theme and, you know, everything's on the page, but there's nothing I can figure out to like move the, the move fields around and, and change how they, I want something on the right. And I want something on the left. Like there's nothing, no mechanism in it. And I can do all this other powerful stuff, but where is that functionality? And that's my friend, Steve. And I've, so I've cited Steve and Steve's needs and use cases. They, they helped found, form the foundation of our original user stories. And Thanks, like Steve. Steve and his kickball site, his charity kickball site need a tool in Drupal core that anyone can use to sort of rearrange their content as needed. Um, and so, you know, just at dinner one time, like three or four years ago, he, we had this conversation um, and that sort of lit, uh, you know, lit a fire under me and, and said, you know, this is something that, 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 that was attempted with the Scotch initiative, but, but that was sort of developer focused and sort of just a, Oh, we can improve on the thing we have. Um, but I really wanted to build something for, uh, the end user, the content author, the person who just really wanted their site to look a certain way and didn't necessarily worry about site building, you know, at scale for for large large agencies or anything. It just want something in the hands of of a normal content author marketer. Um, and so that that's really how I I got passionate about it. And then, you know, as I mentioned, Emily Nouveau's the the co lead. Um, she had been working with the DA and um, also had been working on Panelizer and whatnot. And I think also had a similar sort of drive to to make it more less developer and site builder focused um and and together this is you know this is what we came up with well thanks thanks steve <laughs> and thanks thanks kickball yeah thanks kickball no that's that's a that's a really cool story tim and and uh drupal's better because of it thank you yeah thank thank you and i mean anyone there's there's dozens and dozens of people um we can link to my my session from DrupalCon Seattle. And I do go out of my way to thank a bunch of people. Um, Cause you know, I mean, other than the, you know, the other lead developers within Acquia and the, the core committers, especially, you know, Jess XJM and Laurel and Lee Rollins, you know, there's just dozens and dozens of people from the community that, that made huge, huge contributions to this. Um, 
where it wouldn't be anything close without them. Uh, anything else uh, that you want to talk about or anything that you're super excited about before we wrap up? No, not really. I honestly just uh, keeping the enthusiasm high in the community and, and making sure everyone knows that there is, if it doesn't work the way you want it to, it might not be your fault. There might be a bug uh, and there are people who will help you either identify that or help fix it or will let you know when it's fixed. Um, and for anyone interested to, to try to get involved at any level of that. And that's in the uh, Drupal Slack? In the Drupal Slack, in the layouts channel. Um, in the layouts channel, yeah. Pound layouts. Yep. Cool. Um, well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having thanks, me. Thanks, Tim. Thank you.